Welcome to Unite Immigrant Families. I'm Rosemary Vega, an immigration attorney with over 20 years of experience uniting and keeping families together. If you are looking for immigration information, stick around and listen to me and my fellow immigration attorneys as we discuss what's new and debunk myths. Please note, this is not legal advice and no legal advice will be given on this podcast. Welcome back to Unite Immigrant Families. Today, we will be discussing why some people can come into the United States with no problem and others are either sent back or denied. So basically, I call this knocking at the door of the United States. And today I have Ruby Powers. Uh, She's an excellent immigration attorney here in Houston, Texas. Ruby, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Rosemary, for having me. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. I've heard so many great things, and I'm I'm glad to be here with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so you know, our our audience are not lawyers. Our audience is you know just regular people, and basically, we're going to talk about knocking at the door of, of the United States. You know, asking the United States to come into the asking the United States to let me or someone in, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's sometimes very confusing. Um, I know we both have had clients that don't really understand why, you know, they were not let in, why they were returned. Um, so one thing that I wanted to ask you is, do you want to explain, you know, why that happens. Um, I, you know, what comes to mind for me is the, the Muslim band, right? And I, I'm doing my hand quotes for that for since our listeners can't actually see me. <laughs> because um, that's what it was called, even though that's, you know, it was very, it, it wasn't just for Muslims, it was a whole bunch of people. But that's what comes to my mind because they were they weren't let in, right? So, do you think you can talk to us a little bit about about that? Yeah, and and is it? I mean, I, if it's okay to go back one second to more of like a thirty foot thousand thirty thousand foot view, you know, there's there's the, the different visas that you could have, and and one other good point to think is is it a non immigrant? type of a visa or is an immigrant? And I, I usually say this all the time because non-immigrant means I just want to come here for a short time and do this one thing. Like if I'm going to be a student, I'm going to be a tourist. I'm going to go to the Grand Canyon. I'm going to go conference. I'm going to go to Disneyland. Um, or I'm going to work on this TN or whatever. And the immigrant is, I just say, I want to live in America forever. It's pretty great. You know, I'm going to marry an American. I'm going to apply for asylum. I'm going to stay here. And so one of the first things is what are the requirements of the the visa you're applying for to decide? And then um, there's certain inadmissibilities, which is a fancy word for like maybe blemishes or reasons why the U.S. won't let you come in that they also have to consider. And sometimes it's an issue for your visa and sometimes it isn't. And so that's sort of like maybe a step back. Maybe hopefully that wasn't too jargony, but um, the Muslim ban of January 2017 sticks in my mind because it was like the first weekend 
one of the very first weekends of Trump administration and uh, might have been the first weekend. I was, and, and I remember I was going down to Galveston <laughs> for a birthday party over the, a weekend. I was hoping to enjoy myself and unplug. And, and it was a rude awakening because it was the first of many Friday afternoons where my life would turn into hell and um, the Trump administration would drop some really horrible anti-immigrant policy on a Friday afternoon when you're trying to sort of unplug and have, a you know, some work-life balance. And it came to, so mid-flight, people were being told that they might not be allowed in, even though when they were put on the plane from wherever, they were, it, it was all good. But the, uh, the law was being changed mid-flight when they were taking these, you know, transatlantic flights. And, um, you know, I just remember it more from like the organizer advocacy side is that it was the weekend and immigration attorneys and advocates didn't know how to communicate with each other. We might have been friends on Facebook or had each other's cell phone numbers, but like we, we, we were being told show up at this airport because um, people who were landing need advocates to help them get through, um, through security. And, um, I was getting frantic calls from my clients saying, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, Iranian and I'm Dutch, but I'm right now I'm in Brazil. Am I going to get back into the country? You know? And I'm like, uh, okay, let's, you know, and we're trying to read the letter of, of the law, but then, you know, this was all such a surprise. So the way I remember the Muslim ban was, was how I helped organize the listserv for the immigration attorneys in Houston um, after that event, because we needed to find a way to communicate with each other 24 seven. And many, um, I I couldn't make it to the airport that weekend, but many of my colleagues were around the country were there um, and were trying to help. Like, like you said, they were knocking at the door trying to be let Mm -hmm. in and the rules of engagement had changed mid flight. And, you know, that's just an example. Um, it's not, that's a very extreme example. Um, right. But it, it happened. And yeah. we had and multiple versions of the Muslim ban too. Yeah. And all our clients and everybody coming in were so stressed out because they get to the airport, they get they're in another country, they were traveling either for work or whatever. And they're like, wait a second, am I going to be able to get back in? My whole family's there. My work is there. My life is there. So they were very, very stressed out. I do remember that as well. And it is, you know, I, I feel like you're right. It's an extreme example of knocking at the door and saying, are you going to let me back in? Or are you going to let me into the U.S.? And And I think like, Another issue was that the rules should be told to you along in advance. I remember under Obama, like we would get a year, six months notice was a short, like very fast. Yeah. You know, and under Trump, you get like zero notice, zero. There would be like one second to the next, maybe one day, maybe if you were lucky. Yeah. And and that doesn't help us as advocates because when we're trying to let people know how to make plans, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't very, it wasn't possible. Um, yeah. To stay up with it. Yeah. Yeah. And Ruby, you mentioned um, 
applying for like non-immigrant visas. Let's yeah. let's start with non-immigrant visas. Those people who are wanting a tourist visa or come see their family or vacation, you know, or even a non-immigrant work visa, right? Like they're mm-hmm. coming to work temporarily for a company. Um, so how does how does one go about getting uh, a visa? Let's well, say let's say a tourist visa. Okay, let's say a tourist visa. Well, you apply with it at the U.S. Embassy or consulate in your home country, but you have to, um, they're going to have little quirks in their differences, but basically you apply on a DS-160 and you schedule a visa appointment. I hear Mexico's like a year behind. I hear some other countries around the world are, are a year, or, or there's a huge backlog during the, you know, COVID times, but um you, you put all your information in, you, you pay a little fee and you wait for your appointment. And on that day you show up and the officer asks you some questions. This is the thing. I've talked to former officers and I've had lots of clients go to consulate appointments. Um, like this goes back to what is the, what are the requirements of this visa? The non-immigrant, right. the tourist visa is just to be one, B two is like tr- completely just pleasure, minimal business if it's a B one, but it's, it's just to do something a little fun and temporary, but you're, the way I describe it is you have a life, a mortgage, a reason to go back home, um, and you have enough financial means to, to come back um, and not work illegally while you're in the U.S. And so at the consulate, the officer is screening you. So, so when I teach a, a class um, on inadmissibilities and waivers, I always, I make this funny sound. It's like, and like, I go, like the U S is like screening you for like an x-ray or something and trying to find your problems. And I know that sounds horrible as it just said out of my mouth, but it's sort of like, you know, inadmissibilities is a fancy word for like blemishes and reasons why we don't want to let you in red flags. Um, and where you're knocking at the door. Right. And let's say they, at the consulate, they give you the visa, Uh but then you're at the airport. Don't they do the same thing? Yeah, they they do. So like maybe you, you got lucky, you got the tourist visa, you know, and then you come to the airport, but oh no, you only have a one-way ticket to the U.S. And oh no, you only have $5 in your pocket. And oh no, you know, the officers, you know, thinks that you're going to do something bad while you're here and work illegally. So you could get stuck in secondary where they ask you even more questions and call the person you say you're going to stay with. And, and, you know, they start looking in your cell phone or your laptop and start seeing you had plans to work illegally or something, you know, so you're right. They could, they scan you again at the port of entry and, and double check what, if you, um, you know, if your intention is true as to what, if they think your intention is true to what the visa that you're entering upon, and if you have any other inadmissibilities. So, so for that one, they'll call it not having the visa for what your intended purpose is. Right. (laughs) Right. And if it happens at the airport, it's even scarier because, you know, you're in a foreign land, you're, um, you know, you may have intentions of just being a visitor, but then all of a sudden you're sent to secondary, which takes hours. And then they may or may not let you in. And then if they don't let you in, they put you in this holding cell at the airport. Yeah. And you've probably exhausted from having been you know, traveling for a really long time and maybe you don't speak the language or whatever. So, you know, it's, you don't know what your rights are. 
and you're you're afraid. And so it's it never really and and people don't really have the um the right to an attorney while they're in that like holding space. You know, what was that movie with Tom Hanks? Like there's so many of them, but the one where he gets stuck in the airport and he's like not really he's sort of like in the middle of nowhere because he's not admitted to the country that he's trying to, and he's sort of stuck because he can't go back to wherever he's from. And and that's sort of like what it's like when you fly into the US and you're you're knocking at the door being scanned and they haven't let you in or what they call like admitted or paroled. Um, and and so yeah, you're right. So it can be very overwhelming because you need to meet the qualifications of the visa that you come in on and you need to have no other inadmissibilities. And yeah. And I wanted to touch on some other inadmissibilities. Yeah. What if they have what if they have a crime? That's not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, okay. So this is like my little crime crimmigration 101. If you admitted the elements of a crime, it's a conviction for immigration purposes. That sounds counterintuitive to most sense of reality, but that's the way immigration works. Number two, if it was ever expunged or spent in England or whatever, like you thought it was disappeared from the universe, it still exists for immigration purposes. And um, number three, if it was dismissed, it still could be a conviction because we got to look in to figure out why was it dismissed. And then to add, you know, more to all of this, compound this even further, different states, different counties, different countries call things differently. And we have to, you know, interpret translate uh, a criminal statute and to the immigration statute. So long story short, it can be complex. You should figure out what your problem before you should have it reviewed before you come to the US so you don't have an issue because you really don't want to get stuck at the airport. You don't want to be returned from the airport and you also don't want to appear as if you're lying about a material fact and an important issue. So um, there's some exceptions for petty offense exceptions. There's some situations where it's not considered a really a problem. Um, but it, you know, it, it can be, you have to have it analyzed and I'm not trying to scare anybody, but you know, uh, there's, I find more danger in people thinking it's not an issue than, um, than the other way where it's really, you know, it's better just be cautious and have it reviewed. Yeah. And, and we're talking about crimes anywhere in the world, not oh, just yeah. in the United States, sure. anywhere in the world. So that's that's something that people actually don't realize. I've I've had clients say, um, you know, when I ask them, have you ever been have you ever been arrested? Have you ever had any problems with the police? And they'll tell me no. And then as we keep going, I'll say, did you have any issues in your home country? And they're like, oh, yeah, in <laughs> wherever. And I'm like, OK, that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. No. Or they'll, you'll forget about it or something like so. The other thing. OK, so. When you talk about knocking at the door, a lot of what we do, you know, you and I and those who in this field is we're, we're detectives. So we ask questions and then it leads us to another line of questioning. And then we might need to do Freedom of Information Act requests or go look for back, um, you know, background checks or criminal records. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much what it is. So the first phase could just be asking questions and then collecting records before we can make a, a final strategy. But you're right. There's so many different types of inadmissibilities. Um, yeah. I, another one that I was thinking of um, that just I've um, encountered recently is COVID vaccines. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the U.S., that the COVID vaccine is now a requirement under the CDC guidelines for the medical exam. Yeah, I think that was, what, in October of 2021. And... Um, and it's it's also gets a little more complex too because if you're in the U.S. where almost every vaccine, well, there's certain vaccines that they they deem valid over others, um, and those are accessible. Um, I think pretty much free of charge here in the United States, so that's not a problem. Um, and some clients get the J and J one just because it's faster if they need to get a medical right away. Uh, the Johnson Johnson, but if abroad, um, there's a certain list per location which ones that you should get. And um, sometimes there's, you know, shortages or delays or, or things like that. So so that can cause, there's some, I think, exceptions if you can't get it, but I don't know all the fine print because this all just yeah. came out really recently. Right, right. So, and I'm going to touch on the COVID vaccine again in, the, in a little bit, but I wanted to also talk about, what about if you've come to the United States in the past, um, and then you overstayed your visa. Ooh, dun dun dun. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, April first, nineteen ninety-seven, is the beginning of unlawful presence, and it was created under this thing called IRA IRA, and everything got, I think, worse for the most part after IRA yeah. IRA for immigrants. And um, before April first, nineteen ninety-seven, we didn't really care or call unlawful presence. So, if a person overstayed their visa for is it less than um, six months and and leaves um, after April 1st, 1997, then they don't have a bar, but you've got to watch out for cumulative issues later on. Right. If you, um, was it more than six months and less than a year of unlawful mm-hmm. presence and you leave, you have a three-year bar. And then if it's over a year, you have a 10-year bar. And then let's say you come here in the US, you overstayed more than a year, you left because you had to go back to some to, um, you know, your your mom was sick on her deathbed and you needed to go see her. Um, unfortunately, though, when you came back in um, illegally, you had already triggered a 10-year bar. And then now you've met the love of your life. You want to marry a U.S. citizen um, and do all your paperwork. But the thing is, the next time you leave the country, you're going to have a permanent bar. And you're going to have to stay outside the country for 10 years before you can apply for permission to come back in. And the intent of IRA-IRA was to keep people out. Uh, and the opposite effect happened. It trapped people in. And so right. that's where we got the 11 million people who might have come on something, a tourist visa or a student visa or whatever, and then overstayed. And then just, you know, for, these are the issues. They have to weigh what leaving will trigger these bars. Right. And there are, yeah, essentially they're trapped, right? Because if they leave, they can't come back. Right. And I was having a consult recently where a client of mine from a few years ago wants to apply for naturalization. And he and his parents came in 2003 and were about to do his naturalization. And as soon as he becomes a citizen, then he can go back and petition for his mom and dad and like talk about patience. That's almost a 20 year wait that those that mom and dad entered on a tourist visa and are waiting um, yep. for the green card. But that's really what you're seeing a lot of folks. So unlawful if you were to ask me what are my top inadmissibilities or I work with a lot, it's it's unlawful presence, which is why when I talk to people, I'd like I need to know dates, you know. And it sounds like why do you care about these dates? You know, I don't remember. And I'm like, well, I have to, unfortunately, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to do calculations and and things. So unlawful presence is a big one. 
crimes happens. Um, that's another one. But misrepresentation or fraud is is the the one I probably see number two the most. Yeah, and you know that's a big one. You yeah. know you don't want to be uh, misrepresenting, even though if you don't think you're giving false information, it may. If that officer's like, well, you're giving false information, that's it. You have a misrepresentation, and that's tough. Yeah, I found that once an officer's made that finding or U.S. has made that finding, it's like you just have to go with it and submit a waiver, even if you want to argue, no, I don't believe you, but here's a waiver anyway. That's that's what I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you. I've done where I'm like, okay, we're going to argue that it's not misrepresentation, yeah. But we need to have this waiver prepared because chances are they're not going to agree with us. And I just want to mention something like a lot of times people like misrepresentation or fraud, you know, that sounds really bad. Well, a lot of times people sort of it's like an honest it's a simple little mistake that sort of snowballs into something bigger. For the one the situations I see it in is like you apply for a tourist visa and you say you're married, but you're not really married. And so then later on, fast forward, you're in the U.S. and you want to marry somebody else. And then they're like, well, where's the divorce decree for that other person that you said you were married to? And where you weren't married when you were, you say you were. So that's right. One, that's a scenario. Or that you just sort of like a little fib about um, have you been in the U.S. before? Or had you overstayed or or things like that? And so they look at everything from the tourist visa application to they look to your other family members' petitions when they talk about you. So, you you know, you might – a lot of times people say, well, how does the government know that? I'm like, they know so much stuff. <laughs> Don't even try to pull a fast one on them. <laughs> I, I agree. They know things that you probably forgot. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Right. So – and Just ethically, we truthful. wouldn't do anything untruthful anyway. So, but that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, my recommendation is always be as truthful as you can. You know, try to remember everything because they'll go dig it up. That's right. And even with the FOIAs, are tricky too because you might do a Freedom of Information Act for. Um, for example, I have a case this just yesterday. We did a Customs and Border Protection CBP. Uh, FOIA, zero, zilch, nothing showed up. It's supposed to tell you what happened at the border. I do an OBIM FOIA, the Office of Biometrics something management, I think information management, something like that. And it showed a whole bunch of stuff. So if you only did one of the FOIAs and not the complete picture, you might not find out what, what the government knows about you. And so anyway, that's yeah. going back to being a detective. You need to find someone who can ask the right questions and help you find the right answers from get the resources you need. Right. So let's I mean, we've already touched on this, but I want to really touch on it a little more is immigrant visas. So, you know, you're applying for basically a green card is the immigrant visa. And that can be tricky because it could be either at the consulate or here in the United States. And you're like, wait a second, if I'm in the United States, how am I knocking at the door asking to be admitted to the United States, right? Yeah. But with adjustment <laughs> of status, you're still doing that because you're asking them to give you a green card. That's that's right. So they're still scanning you. They're still trying to see, have you had any problem in the past? 
is, is this going to keep you from being eligible for this uh, this green card? So so with the immigrant ones, if we're doing it here in the country, the biggest ones I do are probably misrep or maybe a crime. Uh, those are yeah. the ones if I have to do it with an adjustment. Um, if I'm doing them abroad with the consular processing, the biggest one is unlawful presence. And um, when Obama created the provisional waiver, letting people do the waiver here, um, being with their family and only being outside the country for a couple of weeks, that that was huge, huge, that was, you know, game changer. Um, so I'll pretty much do either prior deportation orders, crimes, misrep, but the big one is unlawful presence. Um, and they occasionally I'll, I'll help them with a permanent bar and get them back in the country. Yeah. And unlawful presence, let's remind people, that's the one where you were telling them if they overstayed their visa for, let's say, over six months, but um, under a year, it's three-year bar, and then over a year, it's a 10-year bar, right? Yeah. And so if you have those bars, you can apply for what's called the, un, um, you have unlawful presence, and then you can apply for a waiver. Yeah, but the the issue is is like when and I when I talk about this normally it's like is there um, are you eligible for the visa? Uh, do you need do you need um, a waiver? And then the next question is are you eligible for the waiver? Right. So for, so like let's say a person has unlawful presence and they um, they're I don't know their their relatives petitioning for them. But if they don't have a U.S. citizen, and the visa is available, they've been waiting a long time. But if they don't have a U.S. citizen or legal permanent resident spouse or parent who would suffer if they were to uh, be apart or they had to relocate outside of the country, then they wouldn't be able to get the I-6, the um, unlawful presence waiver um, approved. And therefore, it's almost as if it's a permanent bar. I don't want to use the word permanent, but it's a sad because if you don't have that qualifying relative, then you can't overcome that inadmissibility so right and then they're stuck um if they have already left the united states they're stuck outside of the united states for that that much amount of time which i've i've encountered that with some people yeah and and so generally when we're talking like as immigration attorneys we talk to people we're having these strategy talks and reviewing and researching and foyering and everything um, and then we're letting people know what their options are. And then, uh, but everybody has to be honest. Like the attorney has to be realistic and the the client has to tell the truth about things because there could be something like alien smuggling, for example. Right. If this, um, let's say a mom brought her kid with her when she was, when the kid was a minor and the kid later became a citizen. I, I've had this case before. Mom went back and stayed outside the country for 10 years, but that kid became a, married an American, became a citizen, and now wants to petition for that mom. Well, when the mom went to the consulate, they the officers were like, well, wait a minute. You've been in the U.S. before. You have a kid. Where's the kid? Okay, the kid's in the U.S. They, oh, there's the U.S. citizen. Anyway, long story short, they're like, you smuggled your child, you know, 20 yep. years ago. And I haven't seen this knock on wood in the last year and a half, two years, but year and a half, maybe mostly under Biden. But, you know, this used to be a huge deal because if we would do the I-601A for unlawful presence and we thought that was the only problem and then they get charged with alien smuggling, that's a whole, that's another form you have to fill out and you have to wait outside the country um, if you're doing consular processing. So, oh, there are other things to, to screen for. Yeah, and that's a big one. And um, 
my understanding, it's still a, a big, a big one at the consulates. Um, and then, so, you know, you have your alien smuggling, but then you also have, you know, we talked about when you're at the consulate, um, you know, if you, even though you may not have a conviction for a crime, but you've admitted to doing something, you, that could be a problem, right? Yeah. And if uh, I've seen somebody who had a tourist visa application and they had this crime pending that was like taking years to get resolved and they kept getting dinged and denied on the tourist visa because there was just too much uncertainty. And it's just such a the consular review was so great than the discretion that they had. So, yeah, I mean, you, you really, you need to, you need to have somebody really review your whole case, ask lots of questions, make sure you qualify. And then also a lot of these times, these processes take a while, like the, the unlawful presence I-601A waiver right now is taking two years. So like, um, that whole I-130, I-601A, National Visa Center visa appointment process that um, I have lots of clients on it's taking like four, three, three and a half years. And you have to check in on a regular basis to make sure that people are still eligible. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I, that's what I'm telling people. It's taking about three to four years for start to finish your constant yeah. processing. And it could take a little longer, hopefully shorter. But you know, yeah, that that timetable can change at any time. So I think it's important that, you know, if you whoever you have as an attorney, like you're talking to them and, and you tell them these things, like if anything, what we're talking about sounds interesting, and you haven't told your attorney about it, you, you should because maybe it didn't come up in a conversation, maybe you're having a fast consult, like, that's why the consultations are so critical that everybody's engaged answering, asking, uh, because you're developing the strategy for what could be a four-year relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to go back to this COVID vaccine mm-hmm. um, with the immigrant visas, because, you know, I recently um, talked to someone and they had gone through the immigrant visa, went to the interview, and then they got denied because they didn't have the COVID vaccine. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's kind of crazy. And I'm like, well, go get your COVID vaccine, <laughs> you <Well>, know? <laughs> when we were some of, I remember at a ALA forum, uh, American Immigration Lawyers Association, uh, right after that came out um, and um, the speaker was saying, well, you would need to file an I-601 waiver to overcome that, um, which can take online, it says six months, but I think they're taking a year. They so are. so that would be longer than, yeah, after you've waited all this time. And then second of all, and this was a really good point, she said you'd have to prove, I don't know if this is still the case, but she said something like you would have to prove that you're against all vaccines, not just this one, but Um, I don't know if that's the case, but maybe it's just your, um, so, so, cause I mean, some, we've, I, we've seen some of these things in the past where people are just against vaccines. Um, it's a very minority situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, so if it's a requirement and you don't want to do it, or if you want to have exception in this situation, there is a waiver for it, but 
you know, it does take a time. It does cost legal fees plus the filing fee was at $930. Yeah, uh huh. Yep. And it, yeah. Well, real quick, you know, I, this person apparently wasn't opposed to it. It's just, which is strange to me. They didn't, she couldn't get the vaccine in time, I think is what her situation was. So I told her, we'll go get the vaccine um, <laughs> yeah. because you really need it. Um, in order to finish your process. Um, and unfortunately, she got denied. But, you know, I've heard other stories where the attorneys are saying, well, if they get um, part of the vaccine, the doctor won't give them the medical, so they can't have their interview. So they'll um, uh-huh. so they'll just reschedule the interview so they don't get denied, which is much better. Oh, okay. And I do know that, like, there's some countries that the medicals are backlogged, and so they're they're like my client will go to the visa appointment and then they have to go do the medical and then they have to return the medical in or something like that. So it's yeah taking, I, uh, I forgot which country that's happening right now, but um, yeah. So um, let's see what other admissibility did we not talk? There's another one about gangs. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, gangs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know that I, I talk a lot about the gangs um, when we do presentations with Ayla and whatnot, because, I, you know, this was many years ago, but it happened to me where one of my clients um, had a tattoo and he was allegedly told that he was he was marked as being a gang member because he had this tattoo mm. that had characteristics of being a gang in a gang. And my client was never in a gang, but because he had this tattoo, he was pegged to be in this particular gang. It, it was absolutely insane. And the fight to do this was just ridiculous. Um, we were trying to find a gang expert dealing with this particular tattoo. It, it was just crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So I'm, you know, and it's so arbitrary on how they determine whether someone's in a gang that it's it's a big one. You definitely don't want to have a tattoo that could possibly be pegged as being a gang tattoo. You don't want to have Facebook pictures with gang signs or something along those lines. Even if you're friends with some gang members, you definitely don't want to be portraying that. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff on gangs. You just, I recommend you always talk to an attorney um, because it is that, that inadmissibility, that's it. There is like, if you can't fight it, there's no going back. Yeah, that's, that's uh, what my waiver attorney mentor, uh, when I first started practicing, told me too. And that's, um, that's why I usually screen for that and I generally warn them. Um, and, and why does this even matter? Well, when you go do the USC civil surgeon, the medical exam, they, they see your body, but more specifically at the consulate. Um, and, and so when I toured the, why is the, um, consulate at US embassy in there, like that's when, you know, they, they disrobe you a little bit and they have black lights and they have all this and stuff. And so people they're trying to take away, uh, tattoos off or tattoo over them. But, you know, honestly, it, the, it comes down to what does that tattoo mean to you? And um, if it's if it's uh, gang related or not, 
Um, and the other thing that people get a little messed up about is substance, um, a controlled substance, like what's confusing about like marijuana, for example, um, is like in some states it's legal, but federally it's not. So um, you can get in trouble there. Um, and, you know, some amounts like under 30 grams is, is okay. Um, um, but in Texas, the statute is two ounces and under, and two ounces is way more than 30 grams. So you have to go have a police report. Right. Cause you need to know how much it actually was. Right. Right. So you got to be super careful with the control substance and you have to be super careful with, um, drinking and driving. Oh yeah. That's a really big one too. And that gets a lot of the non-immigrant visa uh, people in trouble because, um, they were like revoking, um, H1Bs and Ls for people who had a DWI. And, um, even though it's not, um, a crime, uh, <laughs> conviction, ah, I'm, I'm crime, CIMT. it's not crime yeah. involving moral turpitude or fancy terms. Um, but it still causes question about your, um, the danger to society. And, you know, and so just, and one other last thing to mention about waivers, which, which waivers are trying to ways to overcome the inadmissibilities, which are these blemishes, and they don't exist for everything, but like there are specific non-immigrant, there's non-immigrant waiver and there's immigrant waivers. And so it's all a part of this equation. You screen, you see what you're available for, what visa you're available for, if you have any inadmissibilities, and if you have any inadmissibilities, what waiver could ameliorate and, and solve that problem. And again, if you apply for the waiver, it doesn't mean it actually gets approved. So you have to, you know, wait, pay your filing fee, wait your time and hope it all works out. Yeah, definitely. Well, Ruby, we are out of time, but Ruby, why don't you tell us how people could get a hold of you? Okay. Um, well, uh, they can reach me at our uh, website at seven um, at rubypowerslaw.com, uh, rubypowerslaw.com. And you also can find me on uh, at our phone number, 713-589-2085, and just on LinkedIn, Ruby Powers. We're, we're, we're even on TikTok recently at Powers Immigration Lawyer, and I'm having a lot of fun whenever I'm like... I need a break. I just want to record a TikTok video. That's like my new vice. So hey, that's pretty cool. You know, I'm really enjoying recording these podcasts. So it's, yeah. <laughs> but, no, yeah. This is great. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And it's, Abs um, I hope this absolutely. was helpful to those who were listening and, you know, just learn a little bit more about what can be a complex area of immigration. Absolutely. And so if any of our listeners wants to reach out to me or Ruby, you can always reach us at uniteimmigrantfamilies at gmail.com. Thank you, Ruby. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Unite Immigrant Families. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want more information about me or my guest, please email me at uniteimmigrantfamilies at gmail.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. I hope you join us on this bi-weekly podcast. No legal advice was provided and none will ever be provided on this podcast. <laughs>